You're listening to the CEO Create Podcast, a part of the SGC Network. For those looking for excellence, moving towards success, and creating something new. And here's your host, Tim Winders. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Seek, Go, Create podcast. The title for this episode is God, Where Are You? And that should stir up a lot of emotions. Some of you are going to guess right away, and you will be correct, that this podcast episode will have a spiritual tone to it. And it really is where I will be sharing some of my spiritual journey and how it impacted my business and money and different things like that. But don't tune out if you're not one that is typically interested in those type things, because that's exactly where I was years ago. And I probably believed in God, but kind of thought that he wasn't necessarily there for a lot of the areas of life that I had a lot of passion and interest in. So anyway, welcome to this episode and let's have some fun with this topic. episode, we discussed our journey, the journey that my wife and I and my family went on during the 2008 financial downturn and how it impacted our businesses and how we went from living living in a very nice home in a country club community to becoming homeless and what we like to term as nomads and also how we had multiple companies that were doing very well, uh, would be considered seven-figure businesses. So that's what we covered in episode one. If you have not listened to that episode, you may want to go back and listen to it because it will provide some context for what we're going to be discussing here. To really understand this story, I think I need to go back and tell just some of my history, where I grew up, how I grew up, and how I became... I guess, interested in business and coaching and how I was driven for many years by money. I'm not opposed to money, but how it impacted me. So I have to kind of tell that story now. I am currently in my mid-50s. I I was born in the early 60s, so I'm at the very tail end of the baby boom generation. Some of you may be listening in that you can relate to that. Some of you may be listening and you go, wow, this guy's old, which may be correct. I don't feel that way, but you may be correct. And then some people may just be going, okay, what does that have to do with the topic at hand? Well, if you grew up during the 60s and the 70s, especially in small town Georgia, there was a way that you most likely grew up and were, I guess, indoctrinated into the culture, especially in the southern part of the United States. So I need to share a little bit of that to, I guess, generate an understanding Small town Georgia, we were actually on the outskirts of Atlanta. It was a small town uh, near Atlanta. Since it's been swallowed up by Atlanta, the Atlanta metro market has grown so much. But it was just a small town. You knew people around you. You grew up around them. This is, I know I'm dating myself here. This is before internet, before cell phones, before smartphones, before the connected culture that we're in. But I grew up at a time that I've kind of affectionately called it now the end 
of the age of innocence. It was just a simple time. Most people went to church. Many people went to church dogmatically. I will say that. Many people went to church, and I don't want to step on toes here, but they went to church and may or may not have really known why they went to church. They just went to church because mama went to church, daddy went to church, and they were supposed to go to church. And that's fine, but I just wanted to kind of present that as the context for the way I grew up. I grew up going to church sporadically. I was in the Baptist faith when we did that, but we were never as serious or consistent with church attendance. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just kind of the way it was. And I, I, I want to say, I guess, something that I do recall as, as I started getting into high school years, I graduated from high school in the early 80s, I vividly remember a character on television during that time that, um, that may have really defined who I was. And I kind of thought this was who I was modeling my life after. And that was like Alex P. Keaton on the show Growing Pains. That was the Michael J. Fox character. But I only bring that up to say that my focus while I was going to high school, going to college, I went to Georgia Tech and got an industrial engineering degree there in the mid-80s. And then as I met my wife and we, we then got married, my focus was almost entirely on making money and being successful. I'm, I'm not saying that I had a clear definition of success. I think during that time, especially looking back on it, it was very narrow. It probably involved having a nice home, a couple of nice cars, and living in the suburbs of Atlanta. So probably a small view of success, but that is just what my view of success was. While I was at Georgia Tech, just to speak more to the spiritual journey that I was on, I recall never really going to church or never having any spiritual understanding or realization during that time. In fact, there were a few philosophy and psychology classes that basically educated us and told us that there was no God. I remember thinking about them at the time. I don't remember, I don't recall anything where I specifically said there is no God, but I also don't remember wanting to develop a relationship with God either. It was just a secondary, tertiary. It was way down the list of my priorities. I was getting my degree. I was, before I met my wife, dating and sometimes chasing after women. And the men on here will know what I'm talking about. That's not a good thing to say in today's society. But, you know, we thought about um, the opposite sex quite a bit. And so we dated and those type things. And fortunately, in the mid-80s, I met my future wife. And we dated and were engaged and then were married in the late 80s and have been now married for over 30 years. Meeting my wife was very significant in my spiritual journey. It, it actually may be the most significant thing. She, and she can tell her story at some point possibly, but she uh, had a father that was a preacher um, he practiced ministry on and off throughout her life. She 
developed a relationship with the Lord at a very young age. And, uh, and she always somewhat had this relationship. She believed in God. She was a follower of Christ, a Christian. And she was, she was strong in what she knew was important to her. And when I met my wife, we, we didn't really have a lot of spiritual discussions or anything. I think we both were very attracted to each other. And I'll tell you right up front, she was extremely attractive and I was physically attracted to her. She was very bright, fun to be around. And, and I loved her and enjoyed being around her immensely, obviously so, since we've been together almost every since, almost every day, every since, ever since that. But, but I will say this, that we had a very unique conversation after we got engaged and the conversation went something like this. We were on a phone call late at night and she asked me about my spiritual walk or if I believed in God and I had probably just finished up one of those classes at Georgia Tech that was a psychology or sociology or one of those classes where we had uh, studied, you know, what our being is all about and philosophy and things like that. And I probably gave, knowing my personality, especially knowing my personality at the time, I probably gave a very flippant answer that was something to the effect of, well, I'm not sure about this God thing or church thing. You know, it just seems as if maybe he doesn't exist or something like that. My wife and I have had this discussion. We've attempted to recreate that conversation. And of course, we both have different perspectives, but the way the conversation went, we do both know this, is that she got real serious during that conversation. Again, we were engaged at the time, and she said something to the effect of, I can't marry someone who doesn't believe in God. And I probably backpedaled a little bit. I doubt that I tried to argue. I may have tried to say something snarky or something that was snippy at the time. But I do know that within a very short period of time, I was off the phone. I had jumped in my car. I believe at that time she lived some ways away from me, or maybe that was the time that she had moved closer. We were not married yet. Of course, we were engaged. And I quickly drove over and attempted to describe my spiritual situation in a way that probably was something that I really didn't have an understanding on. I, I don't want to say that I lied, but in many ways I probably did. I probably told her that I really did believe. I probably described to her that I was a Christian and she most likely was skeptical, but she probably was hoping that I was correct in what I was telling her. I do have to back up just a little bit here and say that I did, as I was growing up, attend church on and off. And, you know, I enjoyed the church environment. I enjoyed the social aspect of it. That was something that I really, I always liked being around people. I love people. I loved, you know, trying to encourage people and uplift people. And probably I grew up with the philosophy, the spiritual philosophy that if you're good and nice to people, you're going to be okay. And 
that was just my belief system. That was probably a lot of my family, and, and so that's the way I grew up. I do recall somewhat of a funny story. I don't, well, it actually isn't funny. When we're talking about our spiritual walk, I guess nothing's funny, but, you know, you might get a kick out of this story. I was, when I was in middle school, I was hanging around some girls that were my age, and yes, they were cute, and yes, I was attracted to them, and yes, I enjoyed being around them. Well, these girls actually attended church. They went to the Baptist church there in the small town that I grew up in, just outside of Atlanta. And, of course, because they went to church, I also went to church, because many times boys will do some things that maybe just to impress, okay, we'll just say it that way. I'm not sure if that's exactly what it was, but that's what I was doing at the time. Well, there was a particular instance that I recall that both the, I'll just say these two young ladies, at the altar call at the end of this church service, they went down front to accept Christ. And so being the strong person, I'm joking about that, that I am, I followed them down the aisle and I also did what they did. Now, again, that is nothing that I'm proud of. And some would argue from a theological standpoint, well, you were saved in the technical sense of the word. And then some of you would say, well, it depends on what was in your heart, and you would probably argue that, no, he wasn't. He was just doing something because two, two cute girls were doing it too, and I'm not going to argue either one of those. That's just part of my story. I will tell you, though, in a very strong way that that situation didn't really impact my relationship with the Heavenly Father. It it only, in my eyes, was attempting to enhance my relationship with the two young girls, and I think that means my motives were probably not correct and not entirely pure, or we can just say not pure at all. So after, after I somewhat overcame the situation with my future wife and we were back on track and she had threatened to unengage me or disengage or whatever the term would be. After that, we, we moved towards getting married. And, and like I said earlier, in, in 88, we got married and had a great marriage and we were excited and things like that. And, and one of the things that we did, and this is probably another part of my story that I am not excited about, but with some things that I was involved with at the time, I was involved with the JCs, the Junior Chamber, very involved with our local community. I began to feel as if I was supposed to do some things in the area of politics. And so I started pursuing what, what might lead to a career in politics. And so after we got married, one of the things we did was we made the decision to attend the First Baptist Church in the small town that we were in because, and again, not proud of this, I'm just telling you my story, because in my eyes that would look very favorable for someone who might be running for political office in the future. It 
it is embarrassing for me to admit that at this time. However, I only say it because someone may be listening to this that might be doing the same thing. And also, it's just part of my story. It's where I was at the time. And it's not not good, but we were attending and we attended regularly and we dressed up, we cleaned up and we went down to the church and we spent our hour in church and we socialized with people there. And I shook hands and said hello. And we were checking that box of attending church, or I really shouldn't say we, I was doing it more so than my wife. My wife was attempting and doing a much better job of it than I was of developing and having a relationship with her father, her heavenly father. It was during that time that my wife and I became pregnant and we were expecting our first child. I was working in the corporate environment at the time. I'd started working at Bell South Corporation and I I enjoyed it, but I was really more apt to being an entrepreneur or a business person and owning my own company. I had owned my own business and and done fairly well while I was at Georgia Tech and in college. And, and so I was attempting to pursue success by making more money like many people are prone to do. And especially during that time, money was a, a, driven, a driving factor for a lot of people in business, a lot of people our age, and we wanted to impress people and we wanted to have a nice home and nice things. And and in many ways, of course, that hasn't changed, but it was very prevalent during the late 80s, early 90s. So during that time, during the, during the late 80s, we, we became pregnant. And so we were expecting our first child. This is actually moving on to the 90s, early 90s, 90. And, and we also were attempting to think of ways that my wife, Glory, could stay home with our child that we were about to have. Ended up being a daughter. We didn't know it at the time. And because Glory had started a business and she was doing uh, events planning and catering, and we were doing that in our small town, and it was a very, very challenging business, very lucrative at times, but also a lot of work on the weekends and evenings. And I was working corporate and we were still heavily involved with the community and, and doing things there, attempting to move towards a, maybe a life in politics. And we just had a lot of stuff going on. And I, I just, I want to say this because prayer is a powerful thing. And many times we don't understand, even when we don't know all the details of our prayer or, or, or what it means. If you just lift up a prayer, it is it just kind of be prepared for things. My wife was writing in her journal at the time and she was spending time in prayer because we were again expecting a child and we were probably spending as much if not more money than we made. And so she wrote down something that we went and looked back later and found how powerful it was. She wrote in her journal that she was lifting up a prayer to the Lord, asking that the Lord, he, would do something to make me, Tim, the spiritual leader of our household. Because even though we'd been going to church, it was, for me, very superficial. I was going for social reasons and probably most of the wrong reasons, 
And she wanted me to step into that role as the spiritual leader in our household. And I just, I was not doing it at that time. I was extremely self-centered, doing things for money and for many of the wrong reasons. So she lifted up that prayer. She also wrote in her journal that she wanted us to have something that would bring in enough money so that she could stay home with our soon-to-be daughter that was about to be born. Well, she wrote that in her journal and just, we've gone back and tried to retrace this, just a month or so later, we met a gentleman named Ed at a mall in the north northeast portion of Atlanta. It's North Lake Mall. I don't even know if it still exists. And he was this guy that walked right up to me in the middle of the mall and said, hey, don't I know you from somewhere? And I'm, I'm a little bit, especially at that time, a little bit arrogant about things. I feel pretty good about my memory and the way I interact with people and network. And I looked him right in the eye and I say, no, we have never met. I do not know you. And he says, no, no, no. I think I know you. We've met somewhere before. I said, no, we've never met. And so he persisted. We had a conversation and we swapped business cards and then we went on our way. And I remember even telling my wife that was so weird. It was really an odd conversation. But within just a week or two, he had given me a call and his question was to me one of the stupidest questions people could ever ask. He said, hey, Tim, he goes, you know, we met so and so at the mall and I was just wondering, do you ever keep your eyes open for ways of making money or building business or doing business outside of what you're doing there at Bell South? And I was so snarky and so obnoxious. I, I thought to myself, what a stupid question. I knew that my wife and I had been talking about how we can make more money because we were spending all that I made at Bell South and then some. But my response to him was, no, not really. We're doing really well, but... I might be interested in hearing what you have to say to see if I could find something for my wife to do. And listen, there, there's so many things wrong with that response. Don't even start picking it apart or writing comments or anything like that. It's, it's uh, obnoxious. Yes, I was a jerk, all that type stuff. But Ed, bless his heart, he said, okay, well, let's get together and talk about it. Well, I'm going to shorten that story and just tell you, we actually got into a multi-level marketing business at that time. That was the early 90s. And that business was the Amway business. And I know many people listening in might have thoughts about it one way or the other. I will tell you this, that we got into that business. We built it. We worked at it very hard. And it really was a blessing for us. We did it for roughly 10 years during the entire 90s. And we did very well financially. I mean, we worked hard at it. I mean, don't, I do not want to calculate the you know, dollars per hour or anything like that. But I ended up being able to leave Bell South in the, in around 95, I believe it was. And, um, and again, we enjoyed it, but I, I'll, I may speak more about that later. And, and I, that's not the purpose of this, but what I wanted to share was, was that I started doing that business. I left behind the political aspirations, left behind some of my community activities, and I really threw myself into it. We were able to replace my wife's income and she was able to stay home. Now she ran a lot of that business and I did a lot of that business. Um, for some that do not know, multi-level marketing business is where you share the concept with others. They sign up, you get a percentage of their business and it keeps growing and growing and growing. And 
Again, we can talk more about that at some other point. But the key point to this portion of the story is that that business takes a lot of work. It is very challenging. And it begins to soften your heart because if you're one that's like me who thinks you are really, really good at things, you can find out real quickly that you may not be that good. And because the nature of that business and that it's sharing with other people, it had a very, I guess, it had a very um, embedded spiritual aspect to it. You know, it's not necessarily a Christian company or anything like that, like a lot of people might say, but it's very difficult to be selfish and build that business. You have to think about others, which then opens the door for spiritual conversation. So many of these businesses, they have conferences and the organization that we were part of within the Amway structure had conferences and we would go to these conferences and they would meet and motivate you and in some ways brainwash you. And did it have the appearance of a cult? Absolutely. It sure did. It, it, uh, it got you all excited and, and jacked up so that you can go out and keep doing what you're doing. But the one thing that impacts the spiritual journey in my life is this. On Sunday mornings, they would typically have services. They were Christian services. I think they actually had others, but I would just go to the Christian services, and they would share testimonies, talk about things, do some preaching, and then they would invite people to come down front and make a decision to, you know, be a Christian, follow after the Lord, you know, be a follower of Christ. And after about two of those, that's what I did. So I made my big decision to be a follower of Christ to be a Christian at an Amway meeting in 1991, probably early 1991, if I went back and looked at the date. So that was very significant for me, very significant in that I, I owe a lot of my spiritual journey to that business. It's one of the reasons why I would rather not go back and do that business again. It was very difficult, very challenging, but I'm also indebted to it for a lot of the things that it gave me. So our journey through the 90s was very interesting from a spiritual standpoint. We started attending church that would be more, we'll call them full gospel, non-denominational, um, word of faith. And then really the prosperity message is something that we latched on to. There are probably a lot of people that have positive or negative connotations related to those. I will tell you this, that that the prosperity message really fed something in me that allowed me to keep growing spiritually in a positive way, but also in a negative way, it made me think that my performance was something that was important. I began thinking that the harder I worked, the better off we, were, we would be, and God would shine brightly on that, and he would endorse it and bless it and, and, and help me be more wealthy. And of course, we, we all hear things like, like when people share, oh, you know, we're going to, the, the wealth of the wicked is going to be transferred to the just. And, and then people use statements like, I'm just going out and making money to fund the kingdom. And I will tell you personally, I don't necessarily agree with those statements. I think it feeds something that our flesh really enjoys. I think, first of all, the kingdom, and I'll probably talk more about the kingdom of God and in future episodes that have more of a niche in, in preaching and ministry in them. 
But I don't know that the kingdom of God needs my money. And in fact, I believe the kingdom of God is well-funded. It just needs more people to share the message and to, and to operate within the laws and the, um, and the, uh, the rules of the kingdom. And, and also, I, I, I want to say this. I don't believe that there's any magic key transfer unlocking that's going to occur. I believe that 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 has already occurred. I think that occurred 2,000 years ago and that our role is just to just to be a part of that for those that, that are believers and followers of Christ. I do want to say just from a spiritual standpoint, most of what I experienced, I'll just say during the 90s before we moved into the 2000s and started uh, our real estate business and our company, I was... In the 90s, I was finishing up my work at Bell South. We were building our multi-level marketing business. I was also doing coaching and training and, and also some consulting. From a spiritual standpoint, I was really latching on to what many would call that prosperity message. And what it did for me, I guess the negative with the personality that I have is that it really made me think that my performance was important, that my performance would be what allowed me to have success. And listen, I'm not saying that laziness is what leads to success, that doing nothing leads to success. But in my eyes, I had my spiritual life, my spiritual journey, and then my business walk was something separate. That didn't mean that I was going to operate without integrity or that I was going to attempt to trample on people, even though probably at times I did. But it didn't necessarily mean that my business life, my financial life, my spiritual life was all one. I would, I would most likely do things from a spiritual standpoint and then do things from a business standpoint and hope that they meshed together. And that was probably one of the biggest aspects of that time that I look back on and realize that the way I was approaching things was not the way that God would have wanted me to approach things. When I fast forward and move into the early 2000s in a story that I shared a little bit more in in previous podcasts, we started being very successful in business and and were doing very well financially. We made a move to a larger home. And it was very interesting. In my relationship with the Lord, it was my thought that He was blessing me because of some great things I had done. Kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier that I thought it was my performance. It was my actions. And he was saying, good job, Tim. I'm going to give you a nice house. Good job, Tim. I'm going to give you some money. And let me just go ahead and say right up front, that was misguided. It was not correct. That's bad doctrine. That's bad theology. It's not as if God wanted me to live in a cardboard box underneath an overpass. That's not what he wanted. He just didn't want me to think that what I was doing was him was my results was was him rewarding me is basically what I'm trying to say 
And so I would, it was a very interesting pattern. I was very creative during that time. I was thinking of new business ideas constantly, ways of making money, ways of growing our business, scaling our businesses. They were just coming to me. I would literally roll out of bed. I would spend some quiet time with the Lord. I would get ideas. I would go out on a run and I would come up with those business structures, business models. Literally many days I would come home later in the day and start implementing and putting them in place before the day was over. And I would just keep going with them. And the pattern became somewhat like this. I felt as if I was getting divinely inspired ideas. And then I would, it would be almost like I would thank God for it. And I would take off and start working with those ideas. And then I wouldn't ask him to be involved with anything along the way until we started running into problems. And as we started this podcast off, I told you, God, how dare you let me and my family go homeless and lose all of our money? And that's the conversation I was having with him as we had challenges financially. As we went into 07, 08, 09, and things started going down, I really just cried out to the Lord and I said, Lord, what is going on? And here's the comment he made to me. And this may be just for me, it may be for you, it may be for others. But to me, I believe that he said, Tim, I'm not an ATM machine. I want to have relationship with you all the time, not just when you're in trouble. And I could just tell you that that froze me in my tracks when I felt that in my spirit, when I felt that he had told me that, or when I came to the realization that that's what I was doing. I was treating God, who I professed to believe in, who I professed was the creator of the universe, who was my father, my Abba Father, who, you know, sent his son Jesus so that we could be reconnected with him after the fall and have relationship with him. I was putting him in a corner and only going to him when I had issues. Now, for those of you that are parents, you know what it's like when your children only come to you and they've got issues and problems or they whine or whatever. And I felt as if that's what he was telling me. And so after I came to that realization and I realized that God did not want me to treat him like an ATM, ATM automatic teller machine, you know, when you need money, you just go to the machine and pull it out, that he truly wanted me to have relationship with him 24-7 at all times. It, it just helped me come to re realization that I needed to stop segmenting my life, that if I were to have this spiritual journey, that it needed to be 24-7. This occurred around 2008, 9, 10. I needed to learn more to, to do what I will call rest. And that is where I just am at peace and rest, knowing that God is my Father, He's my Creator, that He sent His Son so that I could have relationship with Him. Then He sent the Holy Spirit so that I could have wisdom and interaction. And that should be a 24-7 thing. Now, this is an odd one for those of us that are entrepreneurs and business people. It has 
very little to do with my own effort. That is so tough when we think we're smart, we think we're a hard worker, we're a go-getter, and and that doesn't mean we don't actually work hard. It doesn't mean that we're not smart. It just means that we acknowledge Him. During this time, again, it was a very challenging time, difficult time financially. We were moving towards filing bankruptcy and losing our home and becoming homeless and becoming nomads. And I would just, uh, as I've shared earlier in previous podcasts, I really did not know what to do. I was totally handcuffed from a business standpoint, from a financial standpoint, and literally I was at such a low, low point that all I knew was to just cry out to God, cry out to my father and say, what do you want me to do? And it's almost as if, almost as if he said, ah, now we can do something together. Now you and I can lock arms. You and I can, can work together on something. And so what I did, it was very interesting. During this time, we still lived in our home in a golf course community, had 117 holes of golf, and and we lived in a nice big home. We were not making payments, and we were not too far off from losing it, but I would go out on the golf courses, not to play golf. I was not in any position financially to play golf anymore at all. It cost a lot to play golf, and took a lot of time and couldn't justify that anyway. But I would go out and walk the golf courses on the days that that specific golf course was closed. We had a number of golf courses in our development, so they rotated which days they would close them. And I would just go walk or run, depending on what mood I was in, the 18 holes that was closed that day. And I would just try to talk to God to see if he would speak to me, to see if he would give me some comfort. And it's so interesting over the course of that that time. It wasn't a short period of time. It was really long and kind of excruciatingly painful because my stomach was in knots from the financial pressure that we were under. But I do want to say this, that in looking back, it may be some of the sweetest time I've ever spent spiritually because I now know how patient he was with me how understanding he was with me, how compassionate he was, because pretty much all I was doing was whining and begging and asking God to give me money. That's really all I was doing. And over time, I gradually wore down and I was just attempting to gain some wisdom about what was going on with this process, to understand what he was wanting to do with me. My wife and I at that time were saying, Lord, just use us. What do you want to do with us? And he was trying to share that. It was real interesting. During one of those walks, during one of those long walks on the golf course, he gave me three words, really four words. And these are going to sound familiar to you when you you hear the title of the podcast. And this was over 10 years ago now. He gave me the word seek, go, create. Seek, go, 
create. And there was more to each word. Each word actually had a, a sentence associated with it. And then he added at the end of it, now, because I think he was kind of getting tired of me wallowing in what I was doing. But those words had significance. And again, we'll be talking more about those in future podcasts. But but they were they were basically an assignment to me. The words seek, go, create were an assignment to me to begin moving, to begin doing things in a different way than I had done in the past, to begin doing things with him and for him instead of just getting an inspiration and treating him, like I've said earlier, like an ATM machine. And so that was the beginning of the process that helped me understand how important it was to have relationship with him instead of just have him sitting on a shelf and only going to God when I needed him. Shortly after that, we became homeless, which seems like a bad end to this story. But I will say during the next few years, my wife and I went through multiple seasons. And they were, they were incredibly growth seasons as far as our spiritual walk. And we've kind of summarized that by saying we went from miracle to manna to blessing. And what I mean by that is, is we found ourselves financially as we traveled, many times we would have less than $100 or even less than that in our bank accounts as we were attempting to move around, be nomads, be homeless. And and of course, that's a challenge, but we would have a miracle occur. A former client or a former business person would would send some money that they owed us, or we would have a family member give us a few dollars or bless us with something just to kind of keep us going, and it became a, a miracle. We would go from miracle to miracle, and then, then we moved to manna, where, very similar to the nation of Israel, we, we had just small amounts being dropped to us on a regular basis. They weren't enough to seem to be significant and not enough to, to live in a very big way or to have large expenditures, but it was just manna that, that it appeared as if the Lord was dropping to us. And, and like for one example, my wife had written some books a few years before and those books continued selling on Amazon and she would get dollars that would be deposited in our bank account every month just from books being sold all over the world. So we called that our manna season. And then the season that we stepped into a few years after that, and we're now what seems like three, four years into that, and that's the season we call the blessing, which has a lot of spiritual significance to it for those that actually have studied the scriptures and studied the word. But uh, it's just where you are walking in the place that you know God wants you to walk in, or at least you believe he wants you to walk in. You're at peace. You're at rest. You're, you're working hard. We're, we've got things going on, but you don't seem overstressed. It's not as if it's massive amounts of effort, and they're just blessings coming to you from all over, and you can't explain where they're coming from. And so that's why I like to describe that we feel as if we've moved from miracle to manna to blessing. And I'm not in any way trying to say that we've arrived we know all the answers. I'm just sharing our story, and I'm hopeful that in sharing this, in some ways, it, it ministers to you. It means something to you. I hope that it 
maybe stretches you some. I'm sure that some of you might listen to this and theologically you might disagree with some things I've said and I'm okay with that. I'm not claiming to understand everything from a theological perspective. I'm just sharing some of our journey and things that I believe I've gotten some wisdom on and believe it's been a learning experience for me. And just my hope is, is that it it helps you in some way also. So thank you so much for listening in. There's more to come on this. There's more to this story, obviously. And you will notice in this first season that these episodes will intermesh and they'll overlap and it won't be in chronological order, but they do have significance in the way that they all come together. And I do hope that you will share this and rate us. And I do also hope that you continue listening. I'm thankful for that. Thank you for listening. in. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Seat Go Create podcast, a part of the SGC network. For those looking for excellence, moving towards success and creating something new. We are constantly discussing bold new topics and ideas here on the network. So be sure to subscribe to be notified when we post new episodes. We look forward to sharing more with you next time. But until then, enjoy the journey.